0: So our vision that we stated a few months ago was that we desire to see kingdom devoted disciples making disciples of nations and generations. And for us, this is more than just a catchy phrase uh, that this has deep implication. It's rooted in deep belief that uh, when Jesus stepped onto the scene and began preaching about the good news of the kingdom, that when Jesus talks about the good news of the kingdom more than anything else, that this has radical implications for our lives. And uh, we are, are trying and prayerfully discerning how to live that out each and every day, um, as imperfect as we may be. And I'm so grateful to be a church that is desirous of... Doing just that. So, if you have your Bibles, please be opening to the Book of Hebrews. Last week, uh, we gave an introduction to this amazing letter that was originally titled uh, "To Hebrews," and uh, we said, you know, last week we, we don't know exactly who wrote this this letter. Um, you know, some scholars really have a lot of you know belief that that this was possibly written by Paul. In chapter thirteen, uh, this writer is. Uh, it's in relationship with Timothy in some way. Um, there's some scholars that believe that if Paul wrote this, uh, it was because uh, you know, he left the letter anonymous on purpose. Um, because any time that Paul got together uh, with, with those of the Jewish faith, a riot broke out. And so some believe that he left it anonymous, you know, for, uh, to avoid some of that consternation, you know, so there's all kinds of beliefs out there. You know, Galatians tells us that, that, that Paul was the apostle to, um, you know, the, the Gentiles, Peter was the apostle to the circumcised or the, the Jews. Um, so, so certainly some valid observations here, but the, the fact is we don't know, we don't know who wrote this letter. And a lot of times when we do our background homework, uh, this helps us. Uh, knowing who wrote it, and knowing who they're writing to. Uh, This is all all biblical study, kind of 101, that that we do in order to enter and engage the text more faithfully. Uh, But these are some questions that we don't have answers to. But what we do know is that the Christians that are being addressed in this letter uh, were beginning to drift. We are aware of that uh, because the writer tells us this, and we looked at that last week. Um, the, the one who is, is greater than anything else, the, the author says, is this is the one who we are to fix our eyes upon. And the author is really pleading with the Christians of the day to, to fix their eyes on Jesus, to keep their focus on him. And and so this is what we want to look at today. Uh, Last week, this breathtaking introduction that we we really only glossed over. And I hope you spent some time uh, meditating on this. Just the first three verses of the letter to the Hebrews uh, where the author talks about who Jesus is. And he starts with the answer. Uh, We said last week a lot of letters start with a problem. Uh, Here's a problem in the church. Uh, Here's a problem that's going on. Here's something that we need to address. But, but this, this author, this writer starts with the answer. Here's the answer, and we're going to work from there. And the answer is that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. This is who he is. The one who shines forth to the world the very character, the attributes, and the essence of God. And that Jesus is the exact representation of his being. In the classical Greek, this word, this phrase used, is used as this engraving tool or stamp, often like in minting coins. And this is the phrase that is used to describe Jesus being the exact representation or the marked engraved of the impression being made, the exact representation, the authentic representation of God Himself. Jesus is sustaining all things. It's not just this upholding all things in a sense of the atlas holding the dead weight of the world sustaining includes this idea of movement that that we were moving towards something a determined end and jesus maintains and carries along all things in the universe we read this in colossians 117 and then lastly jesus sat down at the right hand of god after providing this purification for sin he sat down at the right hand of God. In Jewish culture, sitting was uh, an honor. You know, so like in our culture, you know, we, we stand, you know, st- please stand and we'll recognize this person or the person who speaks stands. You know, so, so standing is a, is a thing in our culture. But in this culture, sitting signified dignity and honor and particularly sitting at the right hand of someone. And so Jesus sits down at the right hand of God. And that's all just Hebrews 1, verse 3. I mean, what, what a verse. I mean, what, what a, uh, just a, just a, it's like this Magna Carta of who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And so this is who we keep our eyes fixed on. The Hebrew writer begins with the answer and then works from there. And then from the rest of the chapter 1, he's going to talk about The angels. So read with me in chapter 1, verse 4. So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son. Today I've become your father. And you'll see the references on the screen here. Jesus is, is, or the Hebrew writer is quoting the Old Testament. And I'll put these on the screen so you can just see very clearly uh, where where these come from. Psalm 2, 7. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? May God bless the reading of His Word. This is this is the, the the remainder of of chapter one, and as we said last week, there weren't chapters and verses when this was originally written, uh, and this text actually functions probably more like a sermon. So you may hear me refer to the writer as the preacher or, the, or the, even the pastor sometimes, because if you if you read through uh, this this whole letter, uh, you, you'll kind of notice it functions like a sermon. Now it, it's a. 45-minute sermon, so most of you wouldn't be comfortable with that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a long sermon, uh, but, but this is kind of, this is how it, it functions. Uh, I remember preaching a series on angels a few years ago, and I probably got more feedback from that series than just about any series that I've ever preached. There was just a lot of, a lot of thoughts, a lot of, um, you know, people had, you know, were were appreciative that we were exploring a topic that that they hadn't thought about before, but that are on, on several pages in scripture. Uh, you know, and and so when we think about this topic of angels, you know, I I hope that we, we see what the, the, the author, the preacher is trying to do here. Okay. I believe that there's a, there's a paradigm that that is being created here in chapter one. That's going to really carry us through the rest of the letter. And this, this, this paradigm that's being created is, is back in, in verse 4, where, where the author is, is saying that, that Jesus is, is greater than, we talked about this last week, Jesus is better than, uh, there's this, this word we're going to look at a little bit next week, that, that is, is, is better than, greater than all, all these things. And so when we get fixated on this, this one, okay, what, what are angels and how do they apply to our lives today? Um, I think a little context is, is helpful uh, because it's not something that we dwell on much a lot today in 2022. So you have to understand that the one thing about the Hebrews or the Jews is that they had a, a deep belief and conviction that they considered angels to be the mediators of the Mosaic covenant. So, we read passages in the New Testament that sometimes, frankly, we just, we don't know what to do with, right? So, in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Stephen is preaching, and he's, a, he's about to be stoned. Uh, Saul, who would become Paul, is, is observing this. And In Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Stephen says, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Galatians 3.19, Paul says the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. So so the Jews believed that there was this this deep uh, angel assistance that the law came, came with. And so now he has to show why a covenant delivered by angels has been superseded by a new covenant. And that's really what the first two chapters of Hebrews are about, why Jesus alone, is supremely qualified to be the only mediator between God and humankind. And here's what the author does really masterfully is that the author is using the Old Testament as a commentary on his, his statements. You know, so you'll notice here in, in just the first chapter, seven times he's going to quote from the Old Testament. Uh, over 30 times in this letter, uh, we're going to see... This, these references back to the old Testament, you would be blessed for those of you who are reading through or journaling through or working through this text alongside us, you would be blessed if when you come to those that you would take a moment and you would pause and you would go and you would look those up yourself. Uh, th- th- there's going to be a blessing there for you. If, if you would uh, commit to doing that as you read through this text, but the Hebrew writer does this over 30 times in this letter. And notice that there's three differences that he points out between Christ and the angels. Now, we're, we're doing some contextual work here, okay? I know this is not, is not uh, overtly practical right now, um, but we're going to get to the practical point in just a moment. Uh, But here's three of the, the differences between Christ and the angels. Number one is that Jesus is the son and the angels are the servants. That's verse five and verse seven. Now it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't a servant. We know that Jesus came to be served, but, but see some of the distinctions that are being made here in Hebrews chapter one. Number two is that Jesus is sovereign and that angels are subjects. That's verse six and verse eight. And then thirdly, Jesus is the savior and angels minister to the saved. We see this in verse 14. And here's one of the things I want to point out, is, is I don't believe that the author, as I've continued to, to study through this text, I don't believe that the author is, is trying to put down angels. I think what he's trying to do is lift up Christ. And so th- this is what we're going to see. This is the paradigm that we're going to see in the text. He is, He's trying to elevate and lift up Christ. That moves us over to chapter two, starting in verse one. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We looked at this last week. We talked a little bit about the the game, the racing game Mario Kart and drifting and how even in our drift, how do we stay on the path? This is, this is what the, the writer, this is what the author is, is, is driving toward. Verse 2, for since the message spoken through angels was binding in every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Uh, one of the things that the Hebrews writer is pressing into is not what confessing Christians don't know. So he's he's not trying to tell confessing Christians what they don't know, Rather, it's that confessing Christians are not living out their confession. And this is, this is going to be paramount to our, our time together the next several weeks. It's not that they don't know It's that they're not living out, they're not practicing what they do know. Does this sound familiar? This is where we start kind of moving into the practical here. So they're drifting, and they're not drifting due to a lack of knowledge, they're drifting due to an unwillingness to practice their confession. Uh, Thomas Long says in his commentary that the gospel is not just a set of ideas, it's a way of living validated by manifestations of the Spirit. People are reconciled. Forgiveness is experienced. The gifts of teaching, healing, discernment, wisdom are realized in the community. The scriptures speak anew. The chains of oppression are broken. All these gifts of God received in their own worship and fellowship and service bear testimony to the trustworthiness of the gospel and serve to reassure the congregation that what they have heard is true and not mere whistling in the night. Verse 4 is, is one of the few times that the author or the preacher mentions the Holy Spirit. Uh, over 140 times, and I didn't go through and count all of these. So if, if you have a correction for me, please uh, send an email to Kevin and let him know. But, but over 140 times, the author is going to mention Jesus, the Son. And then only six or seven times does the author mention the Holy Spirit. And, and so th- this idea, the spirit that produces the fruit of, of love. And so the more that you read this letter, the more that you're going to learn is, is that uh, this author, this, this, this preacher has a deep love for the people that he's writing to. That th- this is not just coming out of a place of, I'm going to write this letter and, and condemn you. No, this is coming out of a place of, no, 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 I love you. And this is why I want you to continue to mature. I love you, and this is why I want you to continue to stay on the path. I love you, and this, this is why we have to talk about some of these things. He wants the people to live into the maturity of God. Uh, I, I've been now with the Homewood Church for 16 years. I know y'all didn't think I was that old, but I, I've been with this church for 16 years. And so when, when I get up and I, and I preach each week, it's different than when I have had the privilege of going and being a guest speaker somewhere else. Because I love you. I, I know many of you. I've sat with you. And so when I get up and I, and I, I challenge us to to this place of, of deeper maturity, it's not, it's not out of a place of, of, of me just stroking a, a a check mark across my, my job description. It comes from a place of of love. Do I do that perfectly? No, but it's, it's, it's different. I believe that the writer is, 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 is experiencing this, this, this fruit of the spirit that produces love joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all, all these things that the, the spirit produces inside of us. And I get this sense. And the more that you, you read through this letter, I believe that you begin to hear these echoes because I love you. I don't want you to just confess Christ maybe years ago and stay there, but I want you to live into your confession. I want us to live into our confession Yes, I want you to confess Christ. Yes, I want you to be baptized. And maybe you're here today and the the spirit of God is prompting you to take that next step. But I don't want us to just be baptized. I want us to live the baptized life. And that's different. I was so encouraged to hear stories of some of you participating in the 50-50 challenge. Where we're giving $50 and 50 minutes in service to others. Uh, Rena Graham shared uh, her $50 with a lady whose husband was disabled recently in an accident uh, you'll see a picture of Donnie Price and Steve Stutz who gave their $50 to the Lakeshore Foundation a wonderful organization where Donnie receives uh, pool therapy each week uh, Mac and Barbara Davis used their funds to provide a bed set and luggage to Grace House in Fairfield which is a home that serves uh, foster girls in our community Reba Ashworth was able to bless a coworker who is expecting their first child you'll see that picture on the screen Danny and Melanie Gammon, along with their granddaughter Ella, made a goodie bags to pass out. And then Danny's granddaughter taught him a song about service. And I want to play that video for you right now. Go ahead. Jesus went around doing good. Jesus went around doing good. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus went around doing good. Jesus was a helper and friend. Jesus was a helper and friend. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus was a helper and friend. Amen. Doesn't Doesn't uh, Granddaddy look good on Danny? Doesn't it look good on him? Man, that's what a blessing. Uh, men, don't, don't underestimate the influence that you have on your children and grandchildren. Uh, what, what a powerful testimony to inviting others into this call. And I believe the Hebrew writer is challenging us to live out our confession, and I hope that you'll be encouraged to participate in the 50-50 challenge as well, not just during this next few days, but every day. Uh, when the author says that Jesus is superior to the angels, that word superior means that there's, there's no comparison. There's no comparison to anything else. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that we are a church that is just, uh, overly worshiping angels. Um, but I, I think there are things that we, we, we rise to the surface that we rise above, above things. We rise above other things. And so verse 9, this Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while is now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That Jesus shared in our humanity, verse 14. This is what Chase was talking about during our communion thoughts. And I really appreciate Chase directing our time. That Jesus shared in our humanity that he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Verse 15. Church, when we lose the confidence of our confession, the enemy begins to speak in its place. And the native language of the enemy is lies. And so we are fed these lies when we lose the confidence of our confession. Lies like you'll never be the parent that you want it to be. We receive these type of lies. You're not good enough. You will be lonely for the rest of your life. You're not loved. Your voice doesn't matter. We hear these lies and so what do we reach for? We reach for anything that will help fill the void. We reach for anything that will help relieve the pain. We will reach for anything that will help just numb us. We reach for the bottle. We reach for the pills. We reach for pornography. We reach for a new gadget. We reach for a toxic relationship. And the lies just continue to be poured on. Things will never change. And the critical accusations of the evil one keep coming. And sometimes we begin to hear the lies so much that we start to believe them. And we begin to slowly drift. Until one day we wake up and we float it much further than we thought we would. But church, hear me. Hear what the Hebrew writer has to say. In those moments, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Let me say that again. A merciful and a faithful high priest. How many people need somebody that's going to show them mercy? How many people need somebody that's going to be faithful? That he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you believe the word this morning? Do you believe the word? About 150 years ago, there was a, preacher evangelist named D.L. Moody. He was, uh, became pretty well known in those times. He died in 1899. uh, So only a few of you were around during that time, but he, he would go around and he would, he would preach some of, some of these great revivals. And in in 18, uh, in 1870s, he was, he was doing this. He went to Chicago and he, he preached this seven week series on the life of Jesus. And so he would just come back every week, and he would talk about the life of Jesus. He, he started with the birth. He, he went through the life and the ministry, and then he got to the death and, and, and the resurrection. And so he just would preach through the life of Jesus. And on week five, he's, he's preaching about what are you going to do with this Jesus? That was the question for the evening. What are you, you going to do? Like, you, you can't just turn a blind eye to who Jesus is because it's going to continue to confront you all of your life. And so what are you going to do with this Jesus? And so he's, he's, he's preaching and he, he gets to uh, the, the end of his sermon and he, he would admit years later that this was the greatest regret in all of his ministry. Because he got to the end of the sermon and what he said was, is, I want you to just think about for the next week what you're going to do with Jesus and then come back next week. And we're going to talk about it. As soon as he finished that sermon, this was in 1871, the fire bells in Chicago rang and the great fire of Chicago began 27 hours of a raging fire that would kill 300 people and leave hundred thousand people homeless. And when D.L. Moody got toward the end of his life, 25 years later, he said, the greatest regret in all of my ministry was that I did not ask people that night to make a decision what they were going to do with Jesus. I would rather cut off my right hand than to let people take a week to think about it. I mean, what a... What a powerful memory for this preacher to go back these 25 years and to reflect on what are we going to do with Jesus? Because this is a question that we're all going to have to answer. I want to leave us with three things this morning. Very practical, because I believe the Hebrew writer is not just speaking to those who have never made a confession for Christ, but those that have and aren't sure what they're doing with Jesus. I just want us to keep praying, keep reflecting on the word, keep fixing your gaze on Jesus, and make a decision. What are you doing with Jesus? Whether you named him Lord 25 years ago or named him Lord last week, what are you doing with him? And let's be a people who keep living out our confession. Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we, we want to be a people who passionately pursue you as you have pursued us. Father, help us to give our allegiance to things that have eternal value. Uh, May we be a people who seek first the kingdom that was ushered in by the radiance of your glory. Uh, The good news of the kingdom that Jesus didn't just talk about, but that he lived So God, we we name right now the lies that the enemy has been telling us. All across the room, and even those that can hear my voice online, we, we name the lies that the enemy has been telling us. And we name them so that they can be stripped of any power over us. And we claim your word to be true this morning. That the death of Jesus defeated death and the tomb is empty because resurrection is your story. And by your grace, you're still in the resurrection business today. So I pray that you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you water what's been sown today in the name above all names, we pray, the name of Jesus. Can I get a good amen, somebody? If you'll stand, if you have a need this morning, we'll have a shepherd down front. We'll also have shepherds over here in this room that can pray with you. If today's the day you want to name Jesus as Lord, come and see me.